Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast on Radio MD or iHeart or wherever you download us from. Please do tell your friends about us and feel free to rate us. Remember, if you have information or want a guest, just write questions at greatagereboot.com, questions at greatagereboot.com, and we'll talk to you or at least email you about that potential guest. Today's guest, a wonderful, the B's are always the guest of the week. The A's, of course, are the latest medical news and what it means to you. Um, But today's guest is Dana Ellis, E-L-L-I-S, and it's it's like hummus, only with an N, hummus. Um, And the website is D-A-N-A-E-L-L-I-S-H-U-N-N-E-S dot com. The book is Recipe for Survival, What You Can Do to Live a Healthier and More Environmentally Friendly Life. Um, Dana is at UCLA, and we're going to find out what she does there um, and in what school she is and how she got involved in this. I've got to remind you, we are always brought to you, at least lately, by Life's First Naturals. Life'sFirstNaturals.com is where you can find the science as well as order their products. They have done randomized controlled trials supporting both true biotics and um, the bovine colostrum. Remember those capsules in randomized controlled trials in soccer players? fewer days absent from the soccer field, from the um, effect on the gut of extreme exercise. Um, And in people who take non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, whether aspirin or ibuprofen, again, randomized controlled trials of protection of gut lining in animals and in humans. But today's guest has nothing to do with that. She is a, well, I'm going to let her tell you about how she got to where she is and why she decided to write Recipe for Survival. So, Dana, thank you very much. And again, it is Dana Ellis Hunnis, um, like hummus. Um, and uh, that's how I'm going to try and keep remembering it uh, as I uh, talk to her. So, Dana, how did you get involved in this? Yeah, so when I was an undergraduate at Cornell University, I studied nutrition and human biology thinking I wanted to be a medical doctor. But when I discovered just how important nutrition is for our own health, um, yeah, it just totally changed my life. And so I went into field uh, into the field of nutrition and dietetics. And so basically, I've been a, a registered dietitian at UCLA Medical Center for uh, coming up on 17 years now. And I uh, work with all types of patients. I work with cardiology patients who are undergoing transplant evaluations, um, head and neck surgical patients, urology, uh, gastrointestinal surgeries. I mean, really the full gamut. So um, I work with all these patients, some of them who can never eat again because they need a G-tube, a tube that feeds them through their stomach or TPN, which is IV nutrition, or just, you know, they need a healthier diet because they had a heart attack. 
And then I decided to go on for my master's and my PhD in public health. And that's when I really discovered and learned about climate change and the effect that it's having on our ability to grow enough food around the world and also uh, how the foods that we eat are having an impact on the environment and climate change as well. So that's that's really how I got to, um, I guess, writing this book is just a culmination of all my experiences. And I suppose it is all made much worse by the war in Ukraine since they are, um, and, and tell us why they are such an important source of, of food stuff as well as uh, Russia is obviously an important source of food stuff, exporting. Why is it? What's, what's good about their climate? What's good about their area? Is it just they have a huge area for farming, or is there something special about their climate? Well, they specialize, Ukraine particularly specializes in um, wheat, and Russia specializes in um, like fertilizers and so when you kind of think about the fact that they're not really able to export right now and there's this unfortunate big war happening, um, that does put some pressure on the food supplies around the world and grain exports and um, the, the cost of fertilizer. So that will have an impact on food security, particularly in um, low-income countries that may depend on some of that. Um, but what makes them so good at producing the food, if you will? In other words, what is it in Ukraine that many other countries don't have that allows them to grow the wheat they do? And how is um, how does that relate to the recipe for survival? That is an excellent question. Um, I think, you know, it has probably something to do with uh, the the high um, latitude that they are at and the fact that winter wheat is um, a major crop there. And I guess it has to do with recipe for survival because, um, you know, if, if a lot of that cropland ends up getting destroyed um, in the war, then that will for sure have an impact on um, how much food is able to be uh, exported and um, distributed around the world. So, um, you know, it's not a topic I really explore in the book because the book came out before the war, but it is definitely something that I um, am keeping my eye on for future ideas and things to write about. In your book, um, how did you, why did you decide to write it? In other words, the recipes of survival. And, and so we know that you went to Cornell, which is, um, and you obviously came in contact with Colin Campbell. Um, there and tell us how you why you decided to write the book. What is the what what should we be thinking about if we're going to buy the book? What is it that should motivate us to buy your book? Right. Well, so it's really a couple of things. So my dissertation research I did in Ethiopia, and I met individuals there who really are full-on dependent on the climate, on the environment, on rain-fed agriculture for their nutritional needs. And then as soon as I finished my uh, dissertation, my PhD, I was pregnant and I gave birth to this tiny little human being who, um, you know, I'm looking down at him. He was very fragile, not even six pounds. And I'm just thinking to myself, everything I've learned 
has me really scared and really terrified about the state of the planet. And so, you know, it's easy to feel depressed and helpless and hopeless that there are things that you can do as one individual. But um, really, the more I started thinking about it and writing about it and putting my thoughts on paper and advocating about the things that we can do right now to have a difference on the environment, it really empowered me. And so organically, pun intended, uh, the book came out of all that advocacy and all of that, hey, you know, I've learned a lot from my experiences that has given me hope that there are things we can do to battle climate change. So here it all is for you. So you don't have to start from square one and you can have ideas and actions you can take right now to help as well. And so let's um, start with you live in L.A., I take it, or right around there. And there's not much space in Los Angeles, meaning most of the yards aren't pretty big. So how did you get, um, how, do, how do we, if, if you will, or in San Francisco where there's not much space, what should they be doing to, to start to have a, um, if you will, a responsible agricultural uh, event. Well, there are multiple things that, you know, people can do without a lot of space. So, uh, you know, on campus at UCLA, we do have um, a plot as part of our community garden, and it's only four feet by 10 feet, but uh, we can grow a lot of produce on that little plot. And so, you know, it really doesn't take all that much land or all that much space to really make a a big dent, both in your own personal food security by contributing your own uh, energy and sweat to producing some of your own food. Um, But, you know, we also live in a condo, so we grow some stuff on our balcony. So you really don't need a lot of space. And the idea of urban agriculture to build, uh, you know, agriculturally vertically um, grow things that don't take up a lot of space or even a lot of water because you're doing it um, in an integrated way can really make a big, big difference. Um, and then also joining, you know, community supported agriculture. So if you live in a community that's maybe only 50 to 100 miles away from farmland and you can um, participate in local agriculture where you get a box delivered to your home every week full of fresh produce that's pretty inexpensive, um, you know, that's, that all really makes a big difference. And now, how far do you live from the UCLA campus? We are just under a mile. So actually, my husband works there as well, so we both walk to work every day. And so that's one of the things you do for your own health as well as for the planet's health. Um, Because, if you will, um, my experience in the UCLA freeways, not the UCLA, but the LA freeways, is uh, that they probably uh, contribute a fair amount to uh, urban pollution in the area. Well, that is very true. There, you know, there are a lot of cars in Los Angeles. But one thing I like to remind people is, you know, it's not just about how much we're driving and it's not just about how long our showers are because the foods that we eat really do make an impact and and can contribute just as much, if not more, than, um, you know, the way we drive or how much we uh, shower. And uh, so the obvious thing is to say, um, is the recipe for survival, part of it is a plant-based eating program. 
correct. I'm not telling anyone they have to go vegan because I know that for many people, that's a non-starter, but I do encourage people to eat fewer animal proteins um, and more of a plant-forward and plant-based diet because it will use significantly less land, significantly less water, and produce significantly fewer um, emissions than you know a standard American diet that tends to be high in animal foods. So you give in the second part of the book, I guess it would part two, you give a series of uh, I would call recipes and and you call them, I guess, recipes um, for pragmatic and doable strategies um, for our personal health. One of which is uh, is to walk or ride to uh, I guess is to uh, do things more in a functional exercise way to um, occupy uh, both commuting and uh, life in general. Um, Give us a couple more. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, you know, we're all looking for that silver bullet to be our healthiest selves, right? We all want to um, have a healthier cardiovascular system or uh, better fitness so we can run around with our children. So for sure, you know, being active, whether that's walking or cycling, um, is always a good thing. Another thing that I like to recommend to people when possible is, you know, if you do live near a farmer's market, bring those reusable bags with you and walk to the farmer's market and, and just be out in nature because it's, it's really good for our overall well-being and also when we participate in the local agriculture system again and, and, you know, work with our local farmers, that can be very helpful both for our own internal well-being and, again, the environment at large because we're walking. Now, what should we do in, in Cleveland? We've sponsored a lot of farmers markets from the Cleveland Clinic. And one of the things I've noted when we, when we first started, we insisted on uh, the farmers not bringing things with saturated fat or trans fat to the market, such as baked goods or um, that were made with trans fat or um, saturated fat or red meat and processed red meat. As time has gone on, um, those things have crept back into the market. Should we, other than not buying them ourselves, what else couldn't we do to encourage? In other words, it seems to me that, that some of the farmers are bringing products that they've purchased and bring it there rather than their own fresh fruits and vegetables at all times. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that in our farmer's markets too. There will be uh, stands or stalls where people are selling more of the baked goods. Um, I think we all vote with our dollar, with our wallet. So if we are choosing to buy things that uh, the farmers are bringing in that they did not make, you know, that's, that's, I guess, a personal choice. If we are instead choosing the produce that they did bring in from their own local farms, I think that's also an important vote and voice to be um, making as well and, and speaking with them as well. I mean, if that's what people are demanding, then it's hard to, I guess, turn away from that because people are spending their money on those things. But um, ultimately, it's up to us to to actively choose what we're going to spend our money on. And so, um, yeah, that would be my biggest recommendation is, you know, I don't visit those stalls necessarily where they're selling the baked goods. I go to the ones where it is the fresh produce. So that's up to each individual, I suppose. Well, should we be doing more? Should we do, in other words, it took us 
50 years and a fair sizable bit of taxes to get smoking, uh, if you will, that is, to get people to stop using tobacco in this, in this great an amount, meaning we've gone from roughly 50% of men and 46% of women down to 12%, um, but it took a huge amount of taxes and regulation and a whole bunch of things. Um, I think the planet, as you point out in part one of your book, um, is a uh, in a critical danger status. I think that's actually the word you use or the phrase you use. Um, and um, do we need to do more? In other words, if you vote individually and there are enough people buying foods that encourage, um, if you will, agriculture that isn't healthy, should we be doing more, at least at our farmers' markets and, and in the CSA, in the um, agricultural goods we get in, in uh, those weekly boxes, should we be doing more to insist um, that it is sustainably grown and that it is only sustainable things are sold at the farmers' markets, at least that we... Uh, sponsor on our on our medical campuses and university campuses. In an ideal world, I would say 100% absolutely. We should be doing everything we can to uh, regulate or to um, request or even you know say, hey, we're only going to accept this type of stuff at this particular market. Um, you know, there is a lot of pushback with that, unfortunately, and there are a lot of political situations that get in the way of a lot of these regulations. And so, you know, these are all situations that have to be navigated sometimes uh, very carefully. And then sometimes you, you know, you can try as hard as you absolutely want and it's not going to budge the needle, which is why I also do advocate in my book so heavily on the role of the individual, because we can't always rely on regulation to fix things. And I think we have seen that over the years with multiple things, um, including smoking for a while, including um, plastics, including, you know, oil and, and uh, petroleum and things like that. So uh, when, when regulation fails or when people fight it too much, I think it really does we have to do whatever we can, whenever we can, and however we can. The book is, I should say, has this um, great summary of where we are in the world, as well as um, these, uh, I would call them 20 recipes in the second part on what you can do as an individual. Um, I, I'm hoping that in her next uh, book, uh, Dana Ellis Hunnis, will uh, help us understand how we can do things in a regulatory way or influencing that as well. Because I think, just like smoking, that it's going to take more than uh, voluntary behavior from uh, those few of us who will uh, do that well. Um, Dana Ella, uh, thank you. Um, it's Dana Ellis Hunnis. D-A-N-A-E-L-L-I-S-H-U-N-N-E-S uh, dot com is the website. 
The book is Recipe for Survival, What You Can Do to Live a Healthier and More Environmentally Friendly Life. It's uh, a Cambridge University Press book. Um, Dana, thank you very much. And I should mention again that we are sponsored and brought to you um, at least for the last uh, 100 or so weeks. Um, that is from about 950 um, of these podcasts on to 1089. I guess that's 140 weeks by lifesfirstnaturals.com. Lifesfirstnaturals.com. Excellent uh if you will, um, substances and the way they study them has been uh, with rigor. Lifesfirstnaturals.com, the proprietors of TrueBiotics and Bovine Colostrum. Dana, thank you very much. Caitlin, thank you for engineering, but especially the 50,000 of you who download us weekly, thank you for doing so. Again, if you have suggestions for guests, questions you want answered by the guests, or questions for me from the A segments, the latest medical news of the week, and what it means to you, it's questions at greatagereboot.com. Dana, thank you very much. We'll be back next week with another wonderful and stimulating guest.